Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Hi. It's uh, it's Friday. Today actually is Friday. Well, no. For the people listening, it's Friday. Yes. Yes. That's true. It's Friday. I know we said that last week and it was actually Saturday and some of you, most of you called us out on it, but today is Friday. So happy Friday. We hope that you're enjoying your Friday. TGIF, as they say. Yep. Hey, ha- Pastor Rod, have you seen what's going on in Hawaii in the news recently? I hear things are on fire. Yes. A lot of uh, things are on fire. Have you been there? Have you ever been to Hawaii? I have not. My wife and I went, uh, after we got married, we went for our honeymoon in Kauai, which is one of the islands wow. there. Not the island that's on fire. I believe it's Maui, Maui that is right. uh, that is on fire. But uh, what a scary thing. What a frightening and terrifying thing to be on an island. And it's on fire. And it's on fire. Yeah, I've heard that people were jumping into the water to escape the flames, which is pretty gnarly. Yeah. You got to be pretty desperate. <laughs> it's like, I'm just throwing myself in the water. Yeah. Hopefully I, I don't burn. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a, at the same time, it's a... I don't know what the the parable is of it, but it's a metaphor or uh, just a reminder of, you know, here's a, a place that's supposed to be paradise on earth and a place where so many people leave, quote unquote, reality to go and escape. And, right, to and vacation. Vacation, to vacate. is good. We should. It, it, there's, there's good reason for us to get away and, and spend time away, but this is just a sobering reminder that there is no true there's paradise no here on earth, right? I right. mean, we live in a, a fallen world. Um and that's really what Psalm 90 uh, addresses is this idea that, man, our, our lives are frail. Um, this this world that we live in is not our home for very long when we consider eternity. And uh, when we get to Psalm 90, which is our first psalm that we're addressing today, you'll notice in the superscription, we've got uh, another new author. And it's one that's familiar to us, though, and that's the the man Moses. Um Moses is uh, purportedly the the author of this psalm. There's no reason to believe that he is not. It fits with uh, the the context that he would have uh, led through and lived through, and uh, it's what the the superscription is uh, is saying there. And if you've been with us for a while, we've talked about this before. The those little descriptions are not added by editors. They were there as part of the original Masoretic text, the original Hebrew transcripts or manuscripts that we have uh, contain these superscriptions. So we have every, every reason to believe that they are authentic and original. And this one says, it's a prayer of Moses. And then how about this description? Uh, this is one that I think we should aspire to. Yes, Pastor Rod, the, the man of God. I just put that on my business card the other day. <laughs> Pastor Rod, the man of God. I mean, I always want people to know where I stand. The man of God. The only. Yeah, man. What a what an awesome uh, epitaph, even just here in Psalm 90. Um, yeah. But in this psalm, it's written uh, potentially even as Moses is leading the Israelites through the wilderness and the wilderness generation is dying off. He's pondering uh, man's frailty and God's eternality and uh, and drawing some helpful conclusions that benefit us to today as well. Because a lot of what he has to say today are about our frailty is, is true for us today as it was for the Israelites then, perhaps even more so. Um, but notice in verse one, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. You, God, have been our dwelling place. And, and think about this. If this truly was during the wilderness wanderings, Israel was looking for that homeland. They were, they were desiring the promised land. They were desiring the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. And here you have uh, the statement from Moses saying of God, God, you you are our dwelling place. You are the the place that we want to be. We want to be with you. 
Uh, and such a good reminder there, especially for this generation that was wandering uh, and, and searching for the promised land. And, and for us as well, as we are here on earth, you know, uh, Peter says we're aliens and strangers. I, I joke with people, but you'll notice in our uh, sermons, uh, I preach underneath a giant sign on the wall behind me that says visitor, right? Because we are aliens and strangers on this earth. We're, we're, this is not our home. In fact, we're here uh, in a very temporary sense in, in a very uh, short amount of time, as Moses goes on to talk about in the next uh, verses there, and uh, our frailty starting in verse 3 and culminating really in verse 12, when he concludes with this focus on our frailty and says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Uh, Pastor Rod, talk to us about the wisdom that comes with a, a numbering of our days. This is a theme that's found not only in this passage, Pastor PJ, but we see this all throughout the New Testament. Um, in different ways, uh, talked about differently, but Jesus says something similar. You know, the uh, there's a sense in which Jesus affirms our frailty, as you say, but also our te- our temporariness, our temporality. James chapter four says our life is a mist and a vapor. Uh, it's here one moment, gone the next. Uh, the idea here is that the more we ponder our inevitable appointment with death and with our passing, the greater the wisdom is to be had because you're going to make different decisions if you had an expectation that your life would soon come to an end. This is a great practice for us to put together on a regular basis to teach ourselves, okay, to number my days. If I live the average lifespan, which is about 4,000 weeks, how many weeks do you have left? And granted, statistically speaking, you're probably going to live that long, but you have no guarantee of that. Mm -hmm. Death is a pop quiz. I tell my kids all the time, you don't know when that quiz is going to come, but rest assured, it's coming. You have to know that. And therefore, live in light of that fact that you might soon die. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever, Jesus says. Moses here makes a comparison about our own lives being like that very same grass. Our grass is here one moment, gone the next. Uh, So don't think of yourselves as permanent. I know when we're, when we're young, we kind of think of ourselves in that way, take lots of big risks and do crazy things. As you get older, you get a bit more conservative and hopefully wiser, but there's great wisdom in practicing the, uh, the meditation on your inevitable, inevitable demise and letting that instruct how you live today. Yeah. And, and in light of that, then being grateful for each and every day that comes. And that's verse 14, when Moses prays, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. However many days that we have, God, satisfy us with your steadfast love. That's what we want today. We want to be completely content in Christ. We want, as he opened, you, God, to be our dwelling place. We don't want to be sitting here thinking, well, it would be great if I had this, or I need this, or I want this, or I'm I'm going to spend my life chasing after this. Christ and God needs to be the the object of our affection there. Satisfy us with your steadfast love. And then the last verse there, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. The the work, yes, establish the work of our hands. Just that uh, let our work be fruitful uh, for you while we're here uh, as many days as, as we have. Maybe a subtle allusion to Ecclesiastes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, from Moses, perhaps this is Solomon reflecting back on Psalm 90 yeah, and perhaps. saying, right. yeah, a, a lot of this and pulling it from there. Psalm 91 then is uh, in some ways a companion. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know if it was Moses or another psalmist, but uh, it, it kind of it, it sits here well because it's a reminder of the security that we have in God. It's a reminder of the, the safe haven that God is for us. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty, verse 1. Um, he goes on to just talk about the deliverance of uh, that God will provide. He will deliver you, verse three, from the snare of the fowler. He talks about here the the uh, the the 
the evil things, the bad things that could come upon us in these verses three through six, but how God delivers us from them all and their safety in him. Verse seven, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. The danger, the threat will not come near you. Because, verse 9, you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. Again, connect back to chapter 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Now, chapter 91, verse 9, why are we safe? Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. And again, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about the fact that as, as Christians, we can claim that we're never going to get sick. We're never going to have disease. We're never going to have sickness. Yes. No, no, okay. <laughs> no. This is uh, an eschatological hope that, uh, and and really, the fulfillment of Psalm ninety one is going to be the millennial kingdom when we're with Christ and He's ruling and reigning there, and we're in His presence and and the the dwelling place of God. W- truly, He is our dwelling place at that point in time. But until then, uh, we can have that future security, that future hope of being with Him at that time. Verse so this, eleven. This yeah, kind go of ahead. just to cut interject real quickly you t- we were talking about promises i think it was yesterday or the day yep. before i don't remember but this is one of those areas where you could say okay is this a promise that i can apply to my life and if so in what way do i apply it i think you're, you're starting to kind of get there how do i as a christian apply verse seven to my life yeah in the sense that when jesus told his disciples right on a with a, a different bent but yet communicating some of the same when he said i do not fear man because what can man do to you the most man can do to you is is kill you but fear God, right? God is the one that has the power to destroy both body and soul in hell. Here, it's it's not with the negative, but it's it's the same concept. It's like, okay, even Invincible. if right, even if cancer comes in and attacks me, even if I die of these things, ultimately I'm I'm secure, I'm safe in the Lord. And we've talked about it before here. I think it was uh, was I think it was Whitfield who said, "I'm immortal until my work on earth is done." Right. And so God's going to preserve us and protect us here from all of the threats that might come against us until he's ready to, to bring us home to be with him. So there's a security that we have here in that, but there's our ultimate hope and security comes in our knowledge that we're going to be in eternity with the Lord. Great. Verse 11 may sound familiar uh, to you if you've read the gospels recently, because this is quoted uh, not by Jesus, but by Satan to Jesus <laughs> during the temptation. Uh, and, and what an interesting thought, right? How well, Satan knows scripture because he's able to quote it though in a twisted way to Jesus in the midst of the temptation when he says, Hey, throw yourself off the pinnacle of this temple. And, and doesn't the scripture say he's going to command his angels concerning you? You're not going to strike your foot against a rock. You'll be okay. And Jesus of of course refutes him and tells him we're not to put our Lord, the Lord, our God to a test, but that's where this comes from. So if you're reading that going, where is that? It sounds familiar. Doesn't that show up again? It does show up again from the mouth of Satan in the temptation of Christ. Doesn't that suggest to us then that the the devil, the, our enemy, our Satan will use our Bible against us, that that's one of his best strategies. And I think you see this all throughout the cults, people who are able to wield, I don't want to use the word skillful because it's a misuse, but a skillful misuse, if I could say it that way, right? a skillful misuse of the Bible, that's one of the enemy's tactics. And it's very powerful, especially right. for people who don't know their Bible well, which is one good reason that you're here because you're thinking about your Bible or studying it so that you have the ability to discern the true from the almost true. It's almost like that icky feeling. It's like, I feel like Will Smith, when I think about the devil using this, like, get my Bible's name out your mouth. You know, one of those things. <laughs> I want to slap the devil on the side of the face like Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. Okay, back to you, Pastor PJ. Yeah, no, that's exactly <laughs> right, though. And and Paul referred to it as, as uh, he said, I refuse, 1 Corinthians 1, to practice cunning or to tamper yeah, with. Yeah, there you go. Right? That's good. I think it's that cunning, that that 
we're going to twist the scriptures to make it mean what, what it never meant in order to, to help my purpose. And that's right. a false teacher is going to do that. And, and Satan is behind false teaching, no doubt about it. Psalm 92 then um, it turns to, uh, it's a, I love the description here, a song for the Sabbath, a song for the Sabbath, a song for the day of rest. There's some question here. Was this a song for the eternal rest or is this a song for the, the rest that came you know, cyclically each Saturday? Uh, we're not sure, um, but either way, this both. is a, a song. Yeah, both, it's, both. it's a song praising God, saying God is good and it's good to praise him. And that's, it's a shorter Psalm, 15 verses here, but, but it's a, it's an encouraging one, just praising God. Um, I, I appreciate verse six, the stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand. Um, so the Bible uses the word stupid. I think we were talking about that not long ago, that somebody had claimed that, that the word stupid is never in the Bible. And I think we said, well, here's an example where the word stupid is in the Bible. It's a strong word. It's a very strong word. It's, yeah, it's one of those words that I think culturally today, if the ESV, I mean, maybe the ESV will be updated again sometime in the near future, but it's words like that that are especially offensive. And, yeah. and that I don't think the Bible's changed, clearly. Yeah. We have changed. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a, it is a strong word. We don't let our kids call anyone stupid. Um, yeah. yeah. Same here. We typically don't allow them to use it unless there's a good reason to con- to use it contextually. Right. Try to be biblical about it. Right. Right. Yeah. I hope they don't update the ESV anytime soon. I mean, it's it's good to do it when it needs to be done, but then you've got to go out and buy a new Bible and like, oh, I just get an update from Logos and my Bible's updated. Well, if you've got the electronic <laughs> version, if you've got the paperback version. I noticed an update yesterday in Colossians chapter one. My ESV on my app was different than my ESV on my lap. Really? Yes. In Colossians one. Colossians one. It's um, it's the prayer that Paul offers for right. the Colossians. And he says in, I think it's Colossians one, be 10 or 11. He says, may God strengthen you according to his glorious might for perseverance and patience. But the ESV in my lap said, oh, no, no. The ESV in my lap said, may God strengthen you. The ESV on my app said, being strengthened. So one makes it a new sentence while one sees it as the continuation of another sentence and an elaboration on his prior thought. Wow. It is a, it is a wow. Was it? I, I saw them like, oh, look at that. There's, yeah. a, there's a difference there. Yeah, I think the last update to the ESV came in 2016. And so- That sounds about right. Yeah, I think, I, I know for a fact, I've got at least two uh, Bibles that I used to use pretty regularly, one in preaching, one in just kind of carrying around and, and counseling that are- Older. That are older. And yeah. it's not, and when we say updated, some of you may be going, what? They changed the Bible. Yeah, they do all the time. Yeah. But it's it's minor changes like Pastor Rod just gave an example of in Colossians chapter one. This is not that like, hey, here's a new book of the Bible. <laughs> we found one. <laughs> or changing anything significantly doctrinally or theologically. Right. It's always wanted to be more precise when it comes to the translation of right. the original languages into the English language. So that's what we're talking about with these updates. So don't don't panic. You can keep your ESV, even if it's pre-2016, you're fine. It's just not as good. Yeah, you may want to update. May want to update. <laughs> yeah, I burned my Bible after that, just to be clear. Yikes. I said, you know what? Forget it. Um, <laughs> Can't trust us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, just as we end Psalm 92, and then we get to Romans 11. And Romans 11, I'm encouraged by Romans 11. Romans 11 is going to be a good conversation. But uh, end of Psalm 92, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God, and they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. That reminds us of Psalm 1, doesn't it? It, did, it yeah. reminds us of the the, uh, the righteous man from Psalm 1 who's like a tree planted by streams of water. So just that continuity there, connection back to Psalm 1 that we see here in Psalm 92 was, I thought, pretty cool. 
All right, well, let's get to, to Romans chapter 11. We're not tackling the whole thing today, but uh, man, there's a lot in Romans chapter 11, so that's good that we uh, get to split this up into to today and tomorrow. Uh, we've laid the groundwork so far in a couple of heavy sections from Romans 9 and Romans 10, um, and now we kind of get to Paul drawing this this argument of what to do with, with the Jewish people to a close. Now, he's writing to believers in Rome. So he's writing to a largely Gentile population and he's writing to instruct them, okay, how do we deal with what the, the two primary people of God, the, the, the Israelites and the Gentiles? What do we do here? And so in, in 11.1, 1, after he's said, he's just indicted them in chapter 10. You remember they've got a zeal, but not for the right things, not according to knowledge. And then at the end of chapter 10, man, all day long, I've held up my hands to them and they are disobedient and contrary people. So then Paul, again, anticipates the question, has God rejected his people? Okay, this is a significant question. This question is the dividing line between two groups of people in the church today, those that are what we would identify ourselves as, which are dispensationalists that believe that God operates in certain dispensations throughout the ages of redemptive salvific history, and on the other side of things, covenant theologians. Um, they would say that, and here's one of the main differences, just to make it as simple as we can in the time that we've got here. One of the main issues is this question, is God done with Israel? And the dispensationalists, our camp would say, no, that there's still a future for Israel. Whereas the covenant side would say the church has fulfilled the promises made to Israel and the church now is quote unquote, the new Israel. And so they would look at things like we're reading about and saying, well, well, what he's talking about when he talks about Israel is really the church as true Israel or the new Israel. We would say, no, there's still a differentiation. God is not done with Israel. So when we come to chapter 11, verse one, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Has he rejected Israel? Paul says in this emphatic no, meganoita, no, by no means, absolutely not. He says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew in verse, verse two there. No, he's talking about corporate Israel here. He's not talking about individual believers there with the, the idea of foreknowledge the way he did at the end of Romans chapter eight, but this is talking about the nation. This is talking about the people of Israel corporately. God is still dealing with his people, Israel. And he goes on there and he gives this illustration from uh, the, the life of Elijah from first Kings chapter 19, when God told Elijah, Hey, there's a, a remnant. And this is the key concept and in, in, in idea here right now during the time of the Gentiles, there's a remnant. And he said to Elijah, there's 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, he says in verse five, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. These would be those Israelites, those Jews who are Christians, those Jews who have repented from their sins and put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There's an ongoing present remnant of Israel still today that will eventually be joined by the, the, the rest, the, the fullness of Israel, which he's going to get to. Verse seven, though, he says, in the meantime, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking, meaning the, the nation of Israel corporately, they failed to obtain what they were seeking because they were seeking righteousness by the law. As we've talked about already in this, they were not seeking righteousness through faith as their forefather Abraham had the elect from them did obtain it, but the rest were hardened. Okay. Uh, Paul's introducing this concept of being hardened to something here. To be hardened is to experience a spiritual insensitivity, a spiritual insensitivity that prevents a person from responding to God's saving message. And so he's saying here that Israel corporately, the majority of them, save for the elect, have experienced this hardening. And it's 
a hardening that has come from God. And we would say, well, why in the world did God harden his people? Well, it goes on later to talk about the reason being so that salvation might come to the Gentiles. We find that in verse 11. Through the trespass of Israel, salvation has now come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. If their trespass means riches for the world and their failure means riches for the Gentiles. Okay, so God right now in this dispensation is dealing with the Gentiles. That is the church. So God has rejected Israel, not a permanent rejection, albeit a temporal rejection. But in the meantime, he's now dealing with the church and we get to benefit from the hardening of Israel. But then he goes on to talk about yet a future. In the meantime, PR, any comments you want to make to this point? I would only add uh, in verse six, chapter 11, verse six here, when he, when Paul talks about the, the, the fact that Israel didn't obtain it because of that lack of grace, they didn't pursue it the right way. They tried to pursue it on the basis of works. Um, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. He says, now, I think there was something that helped clarify this at least a little for me. As Christians, we kind of, we try to figure out in our heads, well, how do we understand then our relationship to God? Because now in Christ, we're called to be obedient. We're called to uh, fulfill the law by our acts of love and our faith. Now, one teacher put it like this a long time ago, and, uh, and here's what they say, and I think this is worth communicating to you. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace, you know, he says, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. Grace, as another author, Heath Lambert, put in one of his books, that grace also has the empowering effect of enabling us to fulfill God's law. So understand here, as, as God, or as Paul, rather, is talking about Israel's failure here. You might think, oh man, then works are not a good thing. No, works are a great thing. Works done by God's grace, as, in, as, as something that you put forth, an effort, is a good thing. It's when you convey the attitude of earning something that you go astray, and that's where Israel went wrong. They tried to earn their salvation by being good enough, following enough of the law, and that's where they failed miserably. Helpful. Yeah, helpful distinction there, and, and super good when we think about our, our ongoing relationship with the Lord. Yeah. Okay, so timeline in your head. Creation through, uh, really, through the cross and the birth of the church, you had God dealing with Israel, okay? So there's Israel. Now, there's a sandwich, because in between, you've got the Gentiles. That's where we're at right now. Time of the Gentiles is our present time. It's from the, the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2 all the way through the present, and it's going to keep going back, keep going on until Christ returns for his bride. This is the time of the Gentiles. This is the church age. After this, there's the other part of the bread. It's going to be another Israelite. Uh, time where he's going to return and deal with Israel again. And so we're in this kind of, I guess it would be a Gentile sandwich. You've got Israel on either side of the timeline, Tasty. and then you've got the church in between. And Paul's saying, that's that's what we're talking about here. God has set aside Israel for the time to focus on the church, but he's going to pick things back up with Israel again. Now, left off in the middle of verse 12, if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, then he says this, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, Full inclusion. What does that mean? Later on, he's going to say that all Israel is going to be saved in verse 26. That's tomorrow. But what do we mean by this? Well, we don't mean that every single person who is an Israelite by birth is going to be saved. Remember, Paul's already said, not all of Israel is true Israel. But those that are true Israel, who are children of the promise, not just children by birth, but children of the promise, they will all eventually be saved. In other words, the number of the remnant that still exists right now today, though small, is eventually going to grow in, in God's plan, and there will be more added to that. And that's going to come down the road. 
And Paul's saying that 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 is going to also bring good things, even for the church. And he brings that out in verse 15. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, that's what I'm talking about. If Israel's rejection, them being set aside, meant that the world, Gentiles, the church, could be reconciled to God through the gospel, okay? If that's what that meant, what will their acceptance mean? In other words, when God goes back for Israel, what will that mean except life from the dead? Okay. I know we're going deep today, but but this is super helpful for us to understand. The next thing on the timeline is the rapture of the church. After the rapture of the church comes the, the tribulation, the seven-year period where God is going to deal with Israel. During that time, there's going to be these 144,000 that are the, the remnant of Israel that are saved during that time period that God is going to seal and protect. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, there's going to be the millennial kingdom. At the millennial kingdom, before the millennial kingdom, the inauguration of the millennial kingdom, believers will be given their resurrection bodies, and we will come to reign with Christ during the millennial kingdom. So when Paul here says, what will their acceptance mean? That's the inauguration of the millennial kingdom, except for us, you and me, life from the dead. We will be reunited with our bodies as a resurrected body. And so even for the church, their rejection is good because the church is birthed out of the rejection. Their acceptance is good because we will receive our resurrected bodies at that point and reign forever with Christ. So that's super Inter- interweaved and, and, and I know it's it's a lot and probably gives you a little bit of tired head to think through it. It does for me at time as, as well, but but that's what's going on with God, the church in Israel right now. But one thing that Paul wanted to do writing to the church is make sure that they didn't grow prideful about that to think, well, look at how great we are and how bad Israel is. And I think that's one of the, the mistakes and the dangers that we have in saying, well, the church has now replaced Israel. Because Paul goes on to use this analogy of the olive tree and grafting branches in. He says the church has been grafted into the, the, the tree. And if if God took off some of the natural branches of the tree, church, be careful that you don't grow so prideful as to think that he wouldn't take you off as well. Not that we would lose our salvation, but that he would say to some, okay, uh, I'm going to turn you over the same way I turned Israel over at the same time. Is this warning then, a, I mean, is this legitimate is, as he's talking to the churches? And, and to your point, we don't we don't think, and even in the context of Romans 8, we don't think anyone could actually lose their salvation. Right. So what role does something like that play toward a church as a warning sign? Right. It, it's like the warning passage in, passages in Hebrews, which we'll get to um, later on when we get to that book. But it, they, they serve as guardrails for us as the church to make sure that we are not drifting towards a, a dangerous mindset. And that dangerous mentality is for us to think that we are somehow better than God's people or that that God's plan is all about one group of people instead of all people. Um, and I, I think that's what we see here. Even in, we've talked about it before, this idea of being progressive dispensationalist, not to throw another massive term here, but that that we believe in a one people of God future that once everything's done, the new heavens and the new earth come, there's one people of God. There's one olive tree here that both branches are grafted or are a part of. Uh, we have been grafted into that, Right. And so it's not, it's not ours to become boastful or arrogant or prideful, but this is a warning to keep us as the church humble and grateful for what God has done. So it's a real warning. It's just not going to be fulfilled by those who are Christians. God's going to use the warning as a means, to a mechanism us. to keep Christians on the right path. Totally. Right. Yep. Yep. Super helpful. And that takes us all the way up until the end of our reading today, which is verse 21. If God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. That's the warning. Like Pastor Roger said, helpfully, that's what he uses to keep us on the path. 
So that's, that's where he's going. He started in chapter nine by saying, man, I, I wish all of the Jewish people could be saved. And right now they're not going to be saved because right now God is dealing with the church and he's using his rejection of Israel to save people from the world that are Gentiles. But he's not done with Israel. He's going to get back to Israel. And when he gets back to Israel, which will be the millennial kingdom, then we as Gentiles are going to receive our resurrected bodies and reign with him at that time as well. So uh, pray for that. Pray for that that future. Look forward to that future. Anticipate that future. Be excited about that. And in the meantime, we, we stay humble right now. And we give thanks and, and glorify God for his work in planning and designing all of this, which is something that none of us would ever be able to wrap our minds around or plan on our own. And so it's another evidence that that God is there because this is, as Paul's going to get to at the end of chapter 11, which we'll hit tomorrow, something way beyond our ability to, to wrap our minds around. Beyond our pay grade. Yep. Well, thanks for joining in uh, for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church, just go to compasschurch.org. No, don't do that. Go to compassntx.org. Sorry. <laughs> Wrong church. Compasschurch.org is our old church. <laughs> our old compassntx.org. <laughs> um, I, I, was, I was trying. If you're in California, go to compasschurch.org. Go to compasschurch.org. Anyways. Uh, yeah. Go to, go to compassntx.org and you can find out more about uh, our church and uh, what's going on. But we are thankful that you tuned in and listened to us today. And we'll catch you again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See you guys. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Mm-hmm.